Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. Good morning and welcome, Bruce McGregor and... Chris McGregor. Today joined again by Mike Aquilina, Mike, author of The Mass of the Early Christians, several other books on the early church all through our Sunday Visitor, and he's also Vice President of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, www.salvationhistory.com, a website that should be bookmarked by everybody listening to this program, and then everyone should tell someone else to bookmark it as well. Yeah, email it to somebody you love. Mike, also the author of The Grail Code. I always get the admonishment if we don't mention The Grail Code. Because it's such a great read. Yes, it is. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Chris. It's great to be back. Mike, it is so good to have you. And I have to say, I'm even more excited this morning because I have to tell you how much I love the new edition of Faith of the Fathers. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I'm glad you like it. I'm, I'm, it's, it's expanded. It's, it's bigger. We've added some new material from some of the older fathers, and we've added some, some new names to the, to the table of contents as well. I love those mothers of the church. <laughs> oh, yes. We have added some mothers of the church to a special chapter of their own in the book. You know, I love the first edition, but the second edition, I took it and I reread everything because you did add so much more to it. I, I tried to make it a complete overhaul to update it with um, more recent research and, and also some great stories I had found in the, in the meantime. I'd done a lot more reading in the years intervening between the two editions, so I, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. I am too, because it's given us more fathers to explore as well over the next... <laughs> we'll just have to keep going and yeah. going. I think so. Be the talker of all fathers. Our Chrysostom kind of guy here. <laughs> That's right. Golden <laughs> golden mouth. Golden throat. Golden yeah, guy. <laughs> just golden. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we want to talk about St. Jerome. And I have to ask you, sometimes you know, when I go into a bookstore, Mike, a secular store, and I'm in the Bible section, I see probably anywhere from 15 to 20 different translations of the Bible. And I have to wonder, what would St. Jerome think? Well, he'd think, well, the, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same, because Jerome was living in a time where there were many, many, many different Latin translations of the Bible. And what Jerome did was produce a new Latin translation uh, that, be, that is now known as the Vulgate, the common one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but in his day, he was trying to make things uniform and standard out of uh, really a, a chaos of translations out there. We tend to think of Jerome's as, as something that, that was always there, but, uh, mm-hmm. but there, there was not uniformity before him, and, and that was the reason he did his translation. Well, tell us a little bit about him and the time that he lived. Jerome was a real character. He was, uh, he was something of a temperamental guy. But the time in which he lived, we're talking about um, you know, the, the late 300s and early 400s, he was born around 340, 342, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. He grew up in the area uh, that's today Croatia, Slovenia, and uh, he studied in Rome when he was a young man, and as a young man he, he studied the classics. He was not yet baptized. It was customary then for Christians to delay baptism until, until adulthood. Mm-hmm. But he studied in Rome, he studied the classics, he was very fond of Cicero, and he, uh, he was headed for a life in public service. At the same time, he was, he was also interested in the ancient church, and he used to visit the catacombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, every weekend, he would go down to the catacombs and, with his friends, and they'd, uh, they'd, they'd see the tombs of the apostles, they said. They'd see the tombs of the martyrs. Eventually, he was baptized. He went up to northern Italy and worked in public service for a while, but there he, uh, he encountered uh, some monks, and he read... The, the life of, of Anthony by St. Athanasius, mm-hmm. and it inspired him to take up the, the monastic life. Now, from there, he, uh, 
he went into retirement back home, uh, and he and he studied and he wrote there, and eventually he took up travel and he went to the Far East and then he went back to Rome. Uh, I'd, that we we can go through his whole life in a minute here, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I don't want to do that. D- Jerome Jerome the times he lived in uh, it's a time when Christianity was establishing itself as the as the religion of the empire, and uh, they were trying to get a lot of things settled. It was a time of great literary activity. Jerome is is uh, something of an older contemporary to uh, to Augustine and mm-hmm. uh, Chrysostom, and uh, he lived at the same time as Ambrose and. Uh, and a great, a great number of other uh, fathers of the church we've discussed on, on on these shows. It's interesting when you when you mentioned that he visited the catacombs and he was really in, interested in the ancient church. When I say ancient, I only mean in perspective for us. It would be like us visiting uh, for American history, going back to Washington or visiting uh, the foundations of our country. That's right, because he was only two hundred years away from the time of the martyrs. Right. But but as, as you as we can see already, he has a great interest in 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 getting things right historically. Mm-hmm. He was interested in archaeology. He was interested in uh, in in uh, uh, kind of literary criticism, finding a history of a text, and so on. So he was a uh, he was a remarkable guy. It. To say that uh, his work on scriptures was profound would be an understatement, just because, as you said, there were so many different translations, and this is the time of the, and when the church it was growing so quickly that, you know, I hate to say this, but even today there are some who will take translations of the Bible and tweak them in a way that will help them further their own causes or their own Ab- beliefs. Absolutely. Uh, Jerome was very much concerned with accuracy, though. He... he uh he learned Greek while he was traveling east, and he became uh, proficient in Greek. And uh, then he, he took up Hebrew. First he learned from uh, a Jewish convert to the Christian faith, and later he learned it from, from uh, rabbis. But some of, the, some of the books of the Bible he actually translated twice. He would translate first from the Septuagint Greek, and then he would translate from the other Hebrew versions that he found current in his time. So he really did get to know the books of the Bible as uh, as they were available in the various uh, the, the various versions at that time, the other thing that he had access to was was the Library of Origin, which was preserved at Caesarea mm-hmm. in Palestine, and he really did immerse himself in that library. He had access to all sorts of uh, of, of biblical resources that we don't have today. So we have to uh, take very seriously any of the work that Jerome did on the scriptures, in his translations, in his commentaries, in his homilies, and in his letters. He, uh, he wrote voluminously throughout his lifetime, and he wrote mostly about the scriptures. Amazing. Now, because he was such a fiery character, I would imagine uh, there, if he didn't agree with somebody or if he had took issue with somebody's theology, he would let them know. He, he, he did. <laughs> he did, and, and, uh, and he would let them know in no uncertain terms. He... Uh, he would write. He would write reasoned refutations, but they would always be seasoned with uh, with the salt of insults. <laughs> <laughs> you can go through Jerome's wor- wor- works in the Victorian translations and search for the words "O oh, thou," because he would make his statement, and then you'd have a comma, and they they would be addressed to "O oh, thou," 
uh, I remember uh, once he refers to Helvidius, he says, Oh, thou effeminate soldier. <laughs> oh, my. What was that in the original? <laughs> I never <laughs> to check. So he was uh, somewhat of a name-caller. Uh, he was a name-caller. There's a great poem, by the way, uh, about St. Jerome that was written by Phyllis McGinley. And, uh, and, and that's, 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 she actually refers to Jerome as the great name-caller. My goodness. Well, it, he, his study of Scripture would prove, uh, as I said, it's, it's so profound that the canon as we understand it, it, it influenced it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Sure, it did. And Jerome gave a lot of weight. Uh, he didn't always come down, actually, on the right side of the canonical questions mm-hmm. uh, in his own research. But, but, you know, he always deferred to Episcopal authority. And so, so he ended up translating the right canon of Scripture, even though he didn't. Um, it, they, the, the bishops were telling him to do something against his own conclusions. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's interesting that he did he did land in all the right places just because of his obedience to the Pope in Rome, to whom he deferred, and to his own bishop in Jerusalem, uh, to whom he deferred. So, so he was very respectful of authority, and he didn't. He was hardly a sola scriptura man. He, he, uh, you can't really attribute to him those 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 inclinations. Yeah, I would I would think that he would be involved in as you said at this time that there were controversies in the church. Did they seek him out for resolution on some of those? Well, I don't know if they sought him out, but he he <laughs> definitely inserted himself in, in these controversies mm-hmm. very often. Pope Damasus, actually, one of the great sainted popes. Of, uh, of the ancient church, did, uh, did take Jerome on as his secretary in his final years as pope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as a matter of fact, Jerome said in one letter that he expected to be elected as Damasus' uh, successor. And that, was, that, that might have been the, the uh, disappointment that sent Jerome <laughs> packing to the east once again. <laughs> but but Jerome, um, Jerome, uh, Jerome uh, Damasus always relied on Jerome. Uh, Jerome did weigh in on other controversies, and he wasn't always on the right side of the controversies. Uh, in the uh, the one the great controversy between Theophilus of Alexandria and Saint John Chrysostom, mm-hmm. this was a controversy that that led to Chrysostom's exile and and uh, and early death. Uh, Jerome actually took the side of Theophilus and and helped him translate his letters into Latin. Uh, mm. Jerome was not fond of Saint Ambrose. And even tried to expose him as a plagiarist. Wow. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Jerome wasn't as particularly fond of Saint Augustine, and uh, and Jerome, you know, I- insinuated in his letters or implied that uh, that Augustine was was a vain man, and uh, and uh, and 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 a lot of other things. But sure. but so, so you see, Jerome Jerome was kind of a a cranky fellow, and. Uh, and uh, and and you know it's important to to be able to discern that in his writing, uh, so that we know we know to take we know what to take with a grain of salt. Um, if if you'll give me just a couple minutes of airtime, I'd love to recite that poem by Phyllis McGinley because I really think she captured his personality well, and she made sense of it in a, in Christian terms. Yeah, go right oh, ahead. We'd love Absolutely. it. You would. <laughs> okay. Well, it's called the Thunderer, and it's it's in her book Times Three. And it, it goes like this. God's angry man, his crotchety scholar, was St. Jerome, the great name-caller, who cared not a dime for the laws of libel, and in his spare time translated the Bible. 
quick to disparage all joys but learning, Jerome thought marriage better than burning, but, but didn't like woman's painted cheeks, didn't like Romans, didn't like Greeks, hated pagans for their pagan ways, yet doted on Cicero all his days. A born reformer, cross and gifted, he scolded mankind sterner than Swift did, worked to save the world from the heathen, fled to a cave for peace to breathe in, promptly wherewith, for miles around, he filled the air with fury and sound, in a mighty voice for almighty ends. He thrust at his foes, quarreled with his friends, and served his master, though with complaint. He wasn't a plaster sort of saint, but he swelled men's minds with a Christian leaven. It takes all kinds to make a heaven. Yes. And that's true, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a great poem. I love it. I love it. Jerome, um, Jerome wasn't a plaster sort of saint. He, he, was, um, he was cantankerous. He was cranky and crotchety, and, and, uh, and uh, he liked to complain a lot. And, and he gives us hope that we, too, can be great saints, and we can do mighty things for almighty ends, no matter what particularly, particular quirks we have to deal with in our personality. Right. Winers of the world unite behind St. Jerome. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it, it, I think, Mike, it, it goes to show us that in the lives of the saints and, and in the fathers that we've looked at over, over the last several months, that they're very, they're very human. Yes, yes, and, and very honest. If we, we can get the wrong impression if we just read these lives of the saints that only portray miraculous events and um, and and kind of these uh, syrupy stories. That that wasn't the way it was. These these men tussled with one another. They had serious disagreements with one another. They had arguments, and they worked them. They worked through them, and they got to the other end of it. And they stayed faithful to Christ. They they weren't perfect. Okay, mm-hmm. if we think of them as these perfect, sinless beings all their lives, without any faults that they had to work through, then it excuses us from our obligation to be saints. Well said. But th- the fathers of the Church had their faults, and they had to work through them, and so do we. Yeah, it doesn't give us an excuse not to, to strive for holiness and for you know, our own sainthood. That's right, that's right. Our common human nature shines through across the millennia. When we read the fathers of the Church, we're reading people who are like contemporaries. They share our human nature, they, ser- they share struggles, that are very similar to those that we face today, and and they really do show us a way through them. It's a, it's a it's a way that Christians of every age really really do have to have to share. You know, speaking of that in, in contemporary terms, I do love the work of one of your colleagues, David Scott. Oh, he's wonderful. Oh, he he's written so lovingly about Dorothy Day, and has points out that I mean she could be considered ornery and you know sometimes no. talk like a sailor but yet the work that god was able to uh, do through her to touch the lives of so many i mean there was a time if i remember reading correctly she spent an hour every day in adoration that's true you know and it, it's 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 true even of of, of uh, you know not too long ago we celebrated the feast of of uh, padre pio mm-hmm. pio and uh, and he he had a temper, and it's one of the things that 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 people brought up against him in his lifetime, and then again and then again as his cause for canonization proceeded. But these tempers uh, are not things that are incompatible with the life of a saint. 
Right. Uh, the saint struggles against them, and the saint struggles to use them in the right way. But even these things like um, these passions like anger, God gives us so that we can, we can channel them for the accomplishment of justice. That's why we get angry, because we want justice in the world. And we just have to learn to make, make our anger like, like something divine, even. You know, I, recently I was reading uh, portions of The Way by uh, St. Jose Maria uh, Escobar. That's and, right. And he talks about how we should not confuse uh, prud- or, uh, standing back, prudence, and not with cowardice. Uh, how did I, I, mean, I don't think I'm saying that properly, but that in we should stand up for causes, and sometimes you have to, you know, go into a conflict. That's right, and sometimes you have to shout to be heard. Our Lord did that, and and Saint Paul did that, and Saint Peter did that. That 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 there are times when you have to show that uh, that what's going on around you is incompatible with um with what you know to be true, what you know God wants, and the only way to be heard and the only way to accomplish it. Is, is through that that kind of that passion of anger that God gives us, that God places in us. Well, they call this righteous anger. Right. Two words that wouldn't seem to go together. Yeah, it's always striving for justice. Yeah. Right. It's not just because you didn't get your parking spot. That's not the right reason to <laughs> scream at somebody. <laughs> so we're not trying to give you a pass on that, folks. Justly taken from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so what happened to St. Jerome in his later years? Did he just, uh, how, how did he die? Well, he he, um, he he went back to uh, to Bethlehem, and he actually remained very much engaged in the controversies of his days. Uh, he he continued to quarrel with his friends uh, th- throughout his latter years. Uh, he had a number of of pious women who who were interested in in living a cloistered life follow him from Rome to to Bethlehem, and they set up a monastery nearby. And he wrote letters of spiritual direction to them that have survived down through the ages. Wow! And really, these have been the foundation of uh, of of the the lives of women religious for for so long. These letters of spiritual direction. And when people try to talk about about the fathers, you know, not not uh, not, or I guess giving short shrift to women, you know, he gives lie to that. He, he we see that he actually was urging them not only to study Greek. But to study Hebrew, these women who were who were attached to Jerome for spiritual direction were studying Hebrew in a time when that was very uncommon. Mm-hmm. Mm. So so he he did that, and uh, and some of them served him as secretary as he as his his health started to fail. He continued to do commentaries. He continued to to translate, and as I said, he was active in the controversies of his day. He uh, he was ordained to the priesthood, so he served as a priest. In these monastic settings, and he, uh, he 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 complained a lot about his health, but but you know he soldiered on, mm-hmm. and he uh, he he died I think about four twenty if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah around four twenty he died at Bethlehem. He he was living in the uh, in the the cave of the Nativity in Bethlehem, wow. and eventually he uh, his his relics were 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 moved to Rome, where they're in St. Mary Major, although we don't know where they are in that church. That's been lost to the ages, but they're somewhere in that church. Well, they found St. Peter's, I'm sure, someday. Somebody <laughs> Maybe we need will to find St. Jerome. Pray to St. Anthony to find St. Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. 
Well, Mike, we want to thank you, as always, for spending quality time with us and our listeners, uh, sharing on uh, the Church Fathers. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to our next conversational encounter. Uh, not half as much as I'm looking forward to it. And Thank we'll keep we'll me. we'll keep it civil. No name calling. No nothing. <laughs> no. So. no, no, we won't call it. No, no names. <laughs> we will call him Chrysostom. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless. Bye bye.